Now we're going to turn to Luke. And before we begin reading in Luke chapter 16, verse 1, another parable of Jesus. I'm going to invite you into my past. There is me. Me in elementary school. Now it's unconfirmed, but I'm pretty sure that my likeness was the inspiration for Calvin and Hobbes. <laughs> that is me in probably kindergarten or so. And uh, my favorite thing about elementary school, my favorite day of the year was the mile run. I was really good at running. I was really good at long distance, endurance. And uh, that was my, I always looked forward to that every year. And I looked forward to it because I could never get number one. There was always these three guys ahead of me. I remember their names. is Tim Petron, Matt Buen, and Kenny Corgi. I still remember those guys because I saw the back of them every year <laughs> when I'm running the thing. And... Uh, I looked forward to it. I always wanted to get in the top three and get that little ribbon, you know. I was always the fourth kid. And so this one year, we get out in the mile run. I'm all jacked up. I'm juiced up. I'm ready to roll. I think I'd even been training for this. I was serious. In fact, I was training. I remember that. I was running around the house. I'd get home from school, and my mom would just see my head out the window, bobbing up and down, running around the house. She said, what are you doing? I said, I'm training for the mile run. I've got to get in the top three. So we get in the, the big day, and we're running around the track, and we're coming around the final turn. We're about 100 yards out, and I see number one way in the distance. I see number two after him, and I see number three, and I'm catching up on number three fast. I mean, I'm going to pass number three, and I'm looking ahead to number two, and I'm thinking, this might be my year. And I turn the corner, and this kid right there, (laughs) he's number three, and he's running. And we turn the corner, and all of a sudden, he starts coughing, he starts wheezing, and he starts calling for help. Literally, help, help. And I know he's got asthma. I've been in this school with this kid forever. I know he's got help. Jared, I'm having an asthma attack. I'm not going to make it. Can you walk with me? This is serious. And I'm thinking, medical emergency. I got you, buddy. We're going to get you there. And so I start walking over the finish line, making sure he's all right. And he is looking in rough shape. He's barely on his feet. And we get about 50 yards in. We got 40 yards in, and all of a sudden he turns to look at me. Bam, he's gone. He takes off sprinting. And I'm like, what? what is going on? You lied about having an ass. Your lungs are fine, but your heart is black. <laughs> this kid just, he used his asthma as a way to dupe me so he could beat me in the race. I thought I wanted to win bad. But we go through life and we experience all of these things with people who are not trustworthy. They are not trustworthy. And the interesting thing is, we're going to talk about it in our next sermon series, in the image of God. We are created in the image of God. We are to be mirrors of God. And of course, because of sin, we are broken mirrors. But that doesn't change that we're still the image of God on this earth. And because of that, we learn about God from each other. For good or for bad. We learn truth about God from each other, or we, or we have lies, learn lies about God from each other. But one way or another, we are learning about God from each other. And we go through life and we experience untrustworthy people again and again. And you look at the news today and you look at all of the leadership lying to us, all the people who say one thing and do another, all the people who say they're about one thing and it comes out that they've been doing another, all the people we experience in our lives who do that to us, and it becomes hard to trust other people. In return, 
It also damages our ability to trust in God. When I was a youth pastor, I was a youth pastor for four or five years, and I had hundreds of students come through our youth group, and almost to a T, the ones who struggled to trust in God had parents who were not trustworthy. And those kids learned about God from their parents. They learned lies. Time and time again, the kids who couldn't trust God, who wouldn't put their faith in the Lord, I get to know them, and as they were damaged in their ability to trust because they had learned something that wasn't true about God from their parents. And we do this, whether we want to or not. We have this happen to us. It can be hard to trust the Lord. And a few weeks ago, we read a passage, another parable in the book of Luke. We looked at Luke chapter 11 and Luke chapter 18, which had two stories of the same message. And it was about prayer. And it was about how we can trust God in prayer. And we come to God and we pray. And he delays in his response to answer. And it causes us to falter in our faith and our trust. And we say, Lord, I'm going through this. I'm suffering through that. I've prayed about it. You haven't answered it immediately. Are you good? Are you there? Are you going to help? If you are there, if you are good, if you are strong, then why am I struggling with this? And we have our faith shaken as we come to God in prayer and he delays. And the point of those passages is we sit there and wonder if we can trust God. The point of those passages is God looks down. He knows he's trustworthy. He says, I will not delay to help my children, you wouldn't delay to help yours. I won't delay to help mine. The question is not, can you trust me? The question is, can I trust you? The Son of Man will not delay to, to help those who are his children, but the question is, when I return, will I find faith on the earth? The question is not whether you can trust me, but are you going to remain faithful? We go through this life and we put God to the test. We say, Lord, if you answer my prayers in this way, then I'll believe. And if you don't, then I will withhold my belief and hold my trust because I'm not sure I can trust you. We put God to the test, but he blows that up. God is under no misconceptions here. He knows he's trustworthy and he knows that we don't put him towards any tests, no matter how much we think we are. He's not the one being tested. We are. You are. You are being tested. And I've had... Friends come up to me and say they're offended by that. Trivialize is this, this life, that's all it is, is a test? And yeah, that would be trivial if it were a physics test, if it were a coloring test, trying to stay within the lines, something that doesn't matter, which we experience in school all the time. We turn in tests that don't matter to anybody for anything. You hand them in, they go nowhere, they do nothing, and you walk on. That's our idea of tests. Instead of in real life, we think about all the tests in the classroom, which don't affect much of anything. But that's not God and this life. This life is the ultimate test. It's a worthy test. It's a worthwhile test. It's a test that I want to be a part of. It's a test between good and evil. You're under the test. Do you love God or do you not? That's a test that needs to happen. Have you seen this world? Have you seen all the evil in it? It needs to be removed. We need a test so that those who love the Lord can go on and be with him and those who don't can be removed so that we can be free from evil. We need those who love the Lord to take the test, pass the test, so the Lord can sanctify us, forgive us, and remove the sin in our hearts so we can go forward without it. That's a test I want to be a part of. It's a test that needs to be passed. It's a test that needs to be, fa needs to be failed one way or the other because we've got to fix this thing. 
That's the ultimate test. There could be nothing more valuable, nothing more important. And you're under that test right now. And from where you sit, from your perspective, you wonder if you can trust God. And from God's perspective, he's wondering down. He's saying, I'm testing you. Can I trust you? God is perfect. He will be faithful. We are not perfect. And that's the question that needs to be answered. And we sit there and we pray. And we wonder if God is trustworthy when he doesn't come through. At least right away and delays. And the reason why God is doing that is he's testing us. He's asking us if he can trust us. Can I trust you? If I bless you, do you love me? Are you passing the test? Can I trust you with my blessings? If I bless you, will you turn and forget about me? Can I trust you? If I allow you to suffer, because I've got a better purpose, I've got a picture in mind, you've got this thing in focus, I've got that thing in focus, it's way more important. If I allow you to suffer, will you trust me? Or will you turn and curse me? That's what God wants to reveal. God asks us, he says, if I give you things, will you use them for my kingdom and my purpose? Or will you hoard them and save them and use them for your vision and your purpose? And here today, we're going to read a story of trustworthiness and ask ourselves, are we being faithful to the Lord, especially with what he's given us? Can God trust me with the gospel? And you may be sitting here and if if you've got breath, you've likely got something in your life that you're experiencing evil from, maybe serious things. And when I say that your faith is shaken as you delay, as God delays in answering that prayer, that's not trivial. That's not to not have compassion. The best thing we can do as we wait, though, is to get our focus off of that thing and our focus onto being faithful to the Lord. We want to get our focus off of what Satan's doing in our life to try to get us to doubt God. We want to get our focus on what God is doing on our life to follow him. And so if you're sitting there and you've got unanswered prayers and you're waiting and it's difficult and it's suffering, it's terrible, the Lord will save. He will rescue. And the best thing you can do is think about how I can be faithful during that time. Get your focus on off of Satan causing doubts and your focus onto you living in faith. And the more you live in faith, the more you'll be able to overcome that problem. The more you'll be able to overcome that thing in your life, the more you'll stop those spirals of toxic thoughts, the more you'll get onto the gut plan that God has and what he's trying to accomplish. So even if we are suffering, even if we are struggling, it's not insensitive to say, I want you to ask a different question today. I want you to ask, am I being trustworthy? The Lord is being trustworthy. It might be hard to see. It's certainly hard to experience. I guarantee it's hard for the Lord to delay. He doesn't like evil. He doesn't want you to experience suffering. It's a difficult situation living in a fallen world. But it's not insensitive to say, turn your focus off of that and ask yourself, is, am I being faithful with what God's given me? Because if you work on that question, you're going to find greater strength in your life rather than continuing to focus and making your story about this other thing that Satan's doing. You want to take back the story of your life. 
And you want the story of your life being about how you're following the Lord, not about how you're struggling with this thing. And so even if you've got big things going on in your life, we want to ask ourselves, am I being faithful? And can God trust me with his gospel? We're going to begin reading in Luke chapter 16, verse 1. And it says, he also said to the disciples, and Jesus If you're struggling with things, Jesus gives this message to people who he know they're going to die and not very far off in the future. He knows he's going to die, that that these people are going to die for what he's telling them to do. He's sending them out into their certain death. Jesus knows. And here he tells them this story. He said to his disciples, who would go through hard times, who'd be persecuted, He wanted to let them know of how important it was that they spread the gospel in harsh conditions. He wanted to know how important it was that God could trust them with his gospel and what he's given them. And so to them, he tells this story. It says, There was a rich man who had a manger, and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. I want to go back to that a little bit because it's just, you know, if I was God and I had a bunch of people following me who were going out to their certain death, I'd spend most of my time saying, they're there. They're there. Wouldn't you? But the Lord knows there's something more important than this life. The Lord knows there's something more important than our comfort. He's got these guys going out into a spiritual battle, a spiritual war. You might think this life is mundane, but that is a part of the enemy's tools against us. We're in the greatest action-adventure story ever told. And God wants us to be faithful, to spread his word. And he wants these men to be faithful. And so instead of spending all of his time saying, they're there, guys, they're there, instead he challenges them. These people are going to a certain death. He spends most of his time challenging them. Get in gear, train yourself. And so he tells this story to train them. It says, there's a rich man who had a manager and charges were brought to him that this man was wasting his possessions. And he called and said to him, what is this I hear about you? Turn in the account of your management for you can no longer be manager. And the manager said to himself, what shall I do? Since my master is taking the management away from me. I am not strong enough to dig. I am too ashamed to beg. And so this guy, he's been dishonest. He's been a failure in his position. He's gotten caught. He's in trouble. He knows the end of the line is coming. Who's going to hire me? I'm going out forward. I've worked for this company for so long. I'm going forward without a reference. What am I going to do? I'm done in this line of work. I'm not strong enough to do physical labor. I can't go around begging. What am I going to do? He's got a major problem. And so he comes up with a plan for his future. I know what I'm going to do. And being a dishonest individual, his plan is in consistency with his character. He says, I've decided what to do so that when I am removed from management, people may receive me into their houses. I got a plan. I know what I can do so that, so that once I'm fired here, I can set myself up for the future. What I'm going to do is this. He says, so summoning his master's debtors one by one, he said to the first, how much do you owe my master? And he said, a hundred measures of oil. And he said to him, take your bill and sit down quickly 
and write 50. Then he said to another, how much do you owe? And he said, 100 measures of wheat. And so the manager says to him, he said to him, take your bill and write 80. And so his plan is he comes up, well, I'm going to put everything on clearance. I'm going to go through, I know what I can do. I'm going to go through the store and I'm going to start giving away everything my boss has. So that way when he fires me, I'll go out and people will remember my kindness towards them. I'm going to mess him over again so that I can get in these people's good graces. What a dishonest dude. This is why companies, when they find out an employee isn't working out, they don't give them another two weeks. They don't give them another few months. They say, stand up and walk towards the door. We can't take the chance. We love you, but you're not trustworthy. Out you go. And here's what the master should have done with this man, because on the way out of the door, he messes him over one more time. In verse 8, the master comes back. He finds out what he did. The master commended the dishonest manager. He commended him. Now, this is an interesting passage because we have a hard time wrapping our minds. This is, Jesus tells a very complicated story, sort of like what he did with the Good Samaritan. He told a very complicated story to get his point across. And sometimes we have a hard time understanding what's going on here. The Bible has us learn from many negative examples. And the Bible reveals the sin of all of the heroes so we can relate to them and learn from them. Life is complicated. People are complicated. Stories are complicated. It's just like real life. We look at Abraham as he takes a second wife and tries to, you know, breaks God's commandment or intentions for marriage. One man and one woman. He takes a second wife to try to have a child with her to bring about the child of promise his way and fails in his faith. And we learn from that. We learn from King David as he manipulates and tries to get what he wants by sending the woman he's lusting after, her husband, into battle so he dies, so he can then marry her. That wasn't godly. Like, we learn from all of these things. Jesus, or I should say God, certainly has no problem asking us to learn from negative examples. There are negative examples. There are positive examples. And then there's almost every situation where each individual has commendable things in their character, godly things in their character, but because of sin, they have sinful things in their character. Like King David, like Abraham. We learn from their positive, we learn from their negative, and there's a, life is usually a mixture of both. And here Jesus tells a story that's a mixture of both. It's not so simple. And so people have a little bit of a hard time understanding this passage. And we are to be unlike the dishonest manager in that we are to be honest. Matthew chapter 10, verse 16 summarizes this verse, this story up. Behold, I am sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. God wants us to be honest. So unlike the dishonest manager, when Jesus commends this guy, it's not for what he's done when it comes to his honesty and his trustworthiness. Absolutely not. We're to be unlike this dishonest manager. Jesus is asking us to learn from this example, this story of a guy who's done one thing very wisely, but he's done other things very dishonestly. We're to be wise like this manager, 
but we're not to be dishonest. If you're struggling in your job and you think you're going to get canned, you're not to go through the store and mark everything down. That's not the plan. There was no clearance here. The manager didn't tell him to go out and mark everything. That was his dishonesty. Now, the last time I preached about this, it was, I preached this, and it was really hard for, to, to wrap our minds around this story because it is complicated. I had a line of people come up afterwards who wanted to keep talking it through because it was like, well, why would Jesus ask us? No, life is complicated. We're to be unlike this man and that we're to be honest. However, there is something that he does commend us for, and it's his shrewdness. And the picture here isn't the guy who comes up and says, yes, everything you've done is correct. No, the picture is the guy who comes up and goes, wow, you're, I wouldn't have never even thought, you're so, have you ever met somebody like that? They've done something dishonest and like, that's not your area of sin, so you wouldn't even think about that. You're not an evil genius in that way. And so you look at what they did and you say, boy, I didn't even, that's, wow, I would have never even thought to think about that. And here you did it. And that's the picture that's happening here. Baxter, you ate the whole wheel of cheese. I'm not even mad. That's incredible. And that's what the master says here. Boy, that was shrewd. You're terrible, but that was shrewd. That was, that was very smart. And so he's commending him, not for his honesty. It says right in the sentence, he is dishonest. But he's commending him for his shrewdness. I don't use the word shrewd very often. Well, let's finish the verse first. The master, in verse 8, commended the dishonest Manager for shrewdness. And he says this, Jesus, for the sons of this world, that's the guy. He's not a follower of God. He's not a hero in this. He's not the one we're supposed to be like as a whole, right? We're supposed to be sons of light. We're supposed to be the people of God. We're supposed to be acting like it. This guy is not in the camp. He's outside the camp. He's going to the wrong place. But there there is something we need to learn from him as sons of light. The sons of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than the sons of light. Jesus has a way that we can grow. He's got a, he's got a criticism for us and a constructive criticism that's something we can do better. It's that we need to be more shrewd. Jesus looks at his people and he looks at the people following Satan and he goes, you know, you guys got to be like this in one way. And I said, you need to be shrewd. Guys, we got to get it together. We got to be more shrewd. We got an issue. It's like the football coach who goes on the team and his team is too nice. They won't get the first down because they're afraid it's going to make the other team feel bad. Guys, we're in a war here. It's a spiritual battle. This is a spiritual battle. Get it together. The sons of this world are doing a better job than us in one way, and that's there are shrewd. What does the word shrewd mean? The Greek word is phronimos. I had to look that one up. I don't use the word shrewd very often. It means intelligent. It means wise. It means prudent. In this passage, I think at the end here, it sums it up best. It means mindful of one's interests. You got to have a strategy. You got to have a plan. You got to think about what the interests are that you're doing. You got to have a plan to get there. This guy sat there and he had a plan. He used the resources that were available to him for a certain end and a certain interest. I said, I'm not just going to do anything. I got to have a plan to get from point A to point B. He used all the resources that were available to him to get to where he needed to be. He came up with an incredibly clever plan, it was very effective, and it worked. 
there was success. The Lord wants us to have success in this spiritual battle. We need to have a plan. And we're to be like the dishonest manager, not in that we're dishonest, but that we're shrewd. We need to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. A direct challenge to God's people. Jesus says in verse 9, And so I tell you the point of this, the plan that you got to have, is you need to make friends for yourselves by means of unrighteous wealth. That couldn't get any clearer. You need to make friends for yourselves by using your money. That's a good thing. Now, I think we think that's a bad thing. I need to make friends of myself by giving them money. What, is that, what does everybody in the world do? What does every person who's not a part of the sons of light do? They try to make friends by giving you money. The politicians stand up and say, I'm going to give you money. The stores say, I'm going to give you a discount. I'm going to give you something back. I'm going to give, are you happy with the service? Let me give you something more. What else can I give you to make you happy? And do we think about that with God's resources? These are God's resources that he's given us. And do we look at the people in our life, unbelievers in our life, and say, what can I give to you? God has given everything to us, and he asks us to be his image on earth. What do we give to other people? Are we bearing God's image? And how are we giving to other people? Do we got a plan? Jesus says the people who are not in my kingdom seem to be a lot better at this than the people who are in my kingdom. And I think we look at it because we've got sin in our heart. We don't give perfectly. We're selfish individuals. We think, I don't feel necessarily right giving people something to try to give them into church. I don't like it either. As a church, we're going to do this. I don't like it one bit. We're going to give people a free burrito after the service to try to get them into the service to hear about Jesus Christ. The burrito's stupid. I don't like burritos. I like Jesus. But you know what? These people like burritos. And so I'm going to give them a burrito. I wish they'd come to church because they love Jesus, but they don't love him. And so we got to have a plan. We're going to be shrewd. I don't like any of the movies that come out at all. I've stopped watching them. They're terrible. But they love them. And so after service sometime, we're going to dress somebody up as a Disney character. And we're going to say, come to church and meet Princess So-and-so and take a picture. And the people who love Princess So-and-so and don't love Jesus will come. And that's exactly who we want to reach. I wish they'd come to church because they love Jesus. And when we do stuff like that, I'm not going to be hidden. I'm not going to be manipulative about it. I'm going to stand up here and be like, I'm glad you came. If you came because you wanted to see the princess, I'm so glad you came. We actually, we don't love Disney here. What we do is we love Jesus. And what we want to do is you came because you love the princess, but we came because we love Jesus and we want you to meet Jesus and know him like we do. He's actually way better than the princess. And we think that we're manipulating people because we are manipulative. We're sinful. But we shouldn't let the fact that we don't have pure hearts stop us from following the Lord and doing his will. We don't do anything perfect. 
There's none of our actions that are truly altruistic. We're always got something, and we shouldn't let that stop us from doing all the things that we do. And here Jesus looks and he says, you know what, the people who are outside of my kingdom seem to do a better job than the people inside my kingdom of giving away my stuff. And Christians, we've got to be shrewd. As a pastor, I say no to a lot of missionaries. It's very hard. They're very sweet. But they come to me and I say, there's a million missionaries out there that we can follow and serve. And I We've got to be shrewd. We can't just give to every person who walks in the door and say, here's some money, go reach people for Christ. That's not how missions actually work. And I love that you have a heart for missions. We are going to focus on these six missionaries so that we can have an impact. Rather than give 80 cents to 5,000 missionaries, we're going to try to give $5,000 to eight missionaries. And Christians, we're not very shrewd. We got cousins, uncle's brother's sister who's got a heart for the Lord and they ask for some money and we think, okay, we'll give them some money. And then we think we follow the Lord. It's actually not how we follow the Lord. And we should give, we should be generous for sure, but we should also be shrewd and we also should just give to other people and think that we follow Jesus' commands for life. He wants you to be the missionary. He doesn't necessarily want you to give that money to somebody else so that they can go reach somebody for Christ. He wants you to do it. God has put a Christian in your place, in your boots, because God wants a Christian where you are. And who in your life is God calling you to give to? Who in your life is God calling you to give his things to so that you can reach them for Jesus? He's told us as specific as he can, make friends for yourself by means of unrighteous wealth so that when it fails they may receive you into eternal dwellings. We are in the same position as that manager. The Lord is going to return or we are going to die. We will be removed from our management position. Everything you have, God's given you. Turns out none of it's yours. If you go back to Luke chapter 12, God gives a great, Jesus gives a great parable about a guy who stores it all up, the parable of the rich fool. He said, take care and be on guard against all covetousness. In verse 15 of chapter 12, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. That's what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns so I can fit more of my junk in there. Now where I lived, it was fascinating the number one business that was going in was storage facilities. So everybody, all these rich people in the suburbs could pile up some more garbage. It's disgusting. I'm a minimalist. I hate this stuff. Get it out of my house. It's clogging my hallways. I can't fit my car in my garage. What else can I give away? But the thing that's really reaching people. The thing that's really moving people right now is, where can I store this? It's crazy. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I'll store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you've got ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, 
This night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Get rid of some of that junk and give it away. Make some friends. For my purposes. Are you using the stuff I've given you for my purposes or for your purposes? Whose is it? These things who... Who you have prepared, whose are they? They ain't yours. You're in the same position as this manager. God is going to remove you from what you have. If you love what you have, and I love what I have. God, I love it. God's given me, I'm thankful for it. I got, I got this camper. I took my kids camping. It's a pop-up camper. It's a marvel of modern engineering. In 10 minutes, I got it popped up. I got it pulled out. We got running water. I got a heater. It's hilarious. We go out and we play house. It's fantastic. I love what God's given me. He's given me good things. It's easy to love this stuff if you love it. It's not yours. You better get used to it. God's taking it back. You can't put a U-Haul behind a hearse. It's his. And what have you done with it? Have you been using it for God's purposes? And the Lord tells us in verse 7 of chapter 16, when it fails. Now, Jesus is a prophet, but he was not looking forward to the inflation and the devaluing of the purchasing power of the dollar that we've been experiencing since the year 2008 when they started printing off tons of money and they're continuing to do it, devaluing the bird. Actually, the money is failing right now, it turns out, but that's actually not what Jesus is talking about. I mean, he knows that. That's how every monetary system ends. As those who are in power and dishonest steal and rob through creating new money of their own, we work for it, they create it, and boom, they're rich and we're not. Jesus is smart, but he's actually not talking about that. That's a sermon for a different day. What he's talking about is that every currency, not just the U.S. dollar, every currency, every money system is going to fail, even if they don't inflate, even if it's sound money. You know why? Because there's going to come a day where you can't use it to save yourself. And you go and you take those scraps of green paper and you throw them at a doctor and you say, save my loved one. And I say, I can't. Those green pieces of paper are powerless to do anything. It's over. Your money is going to fail you. It's not going to save you. And so what are you doing with God's money? He's going to save you. Why are you putting your faith and this, these little pretty pictures with a little green, I mean, how simple can we be? That's no good to anybody, ultimately. We need the Lord. Use this failing money. Are we faithful in doing that? This evil dude is out there. He's making friends for his purpose. And are we doing the same thing? And if we do, the goal of the picture is here's somebody who uses it not for their own selfish purposes, but for God's purposes. The picture here is somebody who has used the things that God has given them to make friends, to reach people for Christ. So when it fails, they receive you into the eternal dwellings. People who you've made to know the Lord because you've been the image of God. And just as God has given you everything you have, you've given stuff to other people and been that image of God. And you've earned their trust. You've bought their trust. Literally, by putting your money where your mouth is. This guy claims to be a follower of God, but boy, that image he shows is certainly broken. Well, not this person who claims to know God and has trusted in God to give him everything and has shown like that and lived like that by giving other people things to show them the love of the Lord. And so that when they get to heaven, there's people there waiting for him. Oh, you're here! 
This is a guy who showed me the generosity of God. I was such a stingy person before, and this person kept giving me things. I hadn't experienced that before. And it started to change my life, and it opened my heart up to Jesus Christ. Welcome. Right? This is the guy, there's a lady that bought my trust. I didn't think I could trust Christians. And this person showed me differently. And showed me the image of God. And showed me the love of God in a unique way. And they bought my trust. If you love money, you won't like this passage. God's telling you that you can either love money and use it for his purposes or love him and use it for God's purposes. You can either love money and use it for yours or you can love the Lord and use it for his. And this story takes a, a left turn pretty quick. All of a sudden, Jesus starts talking about money. Oh, man. One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much, and one who is dishonest in a very little is also dishonest in much. If then you have been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, if then you have not been faithful in the unrighteous wealth, who will entrust to you the true riches and if you have not been faithful in that which is another's, who will give you that which is your own? No servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And Jesus says it's either or. You got to make a choice. We can't say we love God and not give away his things in order to win people for Jesus Christ. We cannot say that we love the Lord and yet hoard the things that he gives us. It's one or the other, and yet we instead deceive ourselves and say that we can. I love the Lord. No, I'm not, I, I, don't, what, I don't give away my things. I love the Lord, but I give away, you know, half a percent of my income, two percent of my income to other people. But I love the Lord. Jesus is very clear. He's very clear not because he wants to be mean to us. He's not trying to take away what you love. What, Lord? I got to let go of more of what I love? You're so mean. No, he's doing that because he loves you. And he wants you to love him. He wants you to be saved. He wants to save you. He wants to be your savior. And instead, you're trusting in this garbage for your salvation. You got to change your focus. Because this stuff is going to fail you. God loves you and he's letting you know that you're on a failing plan. But because you're not following the Lord, you feel like he's mean. And he's trying to take away what you love. You can't love both God and money. And as you hear that, as you think about that, if giving more is having something, a, a, a thing in your heart that says, oh, I don't want to give more. It's exactly the problem that Jesus is trying to solve and exactly what he's trying to address right now so you can be saved. You need to repent of your sin. You need to take your trust away from money. And you need to put it in Jesus. You can hoard up more of this garbage. You can buy more storage sheds. It doesn't matter. What you need is the Lord. And we all know shrewd friends, right? We all know people who've done this. I've got tons of friends who are shrewd. They call me up when they need something, and only when they need something. I've got a guy from my past 
who calls me up. And every time, I just, I'm, I'm not an evil genius this way again. So I never see it coming. And wham, every time. Hey, do you want to get together for lunch? Yeah, I love to get together for lunch. And we sit down. And he says, you know what? It's been good to see you. I've been selling these vitamins. This is a real story. He takes me out to dinner. How are you doing? We talk for a minute. And all of a sudden, he pulls something out. You know what I've been doing lately? I became a pastor. He calls me up again. Oh, yeah, it's that guy. I haven't seen you in years. Let's go out to lunch. He sits down. You know what I've been doing? I've been selling digital displays for people for their buildings for the entryway. Can I help you with your digital display? Well, actually, I don't pastor a church that owns its own building. Oh, okay. And then he didn't call me again. You look like a guy who likes to make money. They're, they got a plan. They're mindful of their interests. And we need to be mindful of Jesus' interests. Who do we do that for? I had a guy in my life who was a friend. He wasn't like my best friend. He was just a friend. And he was going away. I can't even remember why. He was going away. And no one was throwing him a party. And he was a really nice guy. And he was always nice to all these people. And none of them were throwing him a party. And I thought, that's weird. Because none of your friends are helping you or doing anything for you. And I was on the outside. You know, I wasn't in his main circle. But I was like, I'll throw you a party. I spent 50 bucks. And I threw the guy a party. Uh, inflation, adjusting for inflation. It would be like 150 of today's money. 150 bucks. And it just changed my relationship with that person. It took very little effort. I had a friend for life. Suddenly that guy was calling me all the time. As soon as he got back from his year abroad or whatever he was doing, he came and he called me. And I got to share the gospel with him many times. Many times. For 150 bucks. It was a steal. We had some people in our neighborhood. We took them out to dinner. We got to know them. We realized they're never coming to church. And so what we did is we started buying their kids presents. We bought them birthday presents. We got them Christmas presents. Those kids loved us. We started to bring them church on Sundays. We started to bring them to church on Wednesdays. It's the easiest evangelism we've ever done. Get them a $20 gift. Give them something for 35 bucks for Christmas. You will make a friend for life. And who are you doing that for? Who are you doing that with? And if you're sitting there complaining because you can't see the end of what Satan is doing in your life, think about what biblical character couldn't say that. What biblical character isn't in your position? Noah, right? When is this rain going to end? Abraham, when is God going to fill those promises? The Israelites in the wilderness. When is God going to bring us to the promised land? God proves faithful every time. In reality, there's no question about God's faithfulness. The interesting thing is we, however, are learning a lot about our faithfulness along the way. Matthew 6.21 says, Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Ecclesiastes 5.10, in a verse we just read the other week, Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. Mark 16, 15 says, Go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole of creation. Romans 10, 14 says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they believe on him of whom they have not, never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And the Lord wants you to make friends with the money he's given you. Let's pray. 
Lord, we thank you so much for your generosity to us. God, I thank you that we live in the most prosperous nation in the history of all humanity. And Lord, as we sit there and we love our money, we build more storage sheds and rent more places to put all the stuff that you give us. Because that's how awful we are. (laughs) That's how sinful we are. What a blessing to be in this nation where we've got an abundance, more than we could ever use, more than we could ever want. Lord, we repent of loving your blessings more than you. And as you sit down there and, and look, you sit up there and you look at us and we sit down there and we say, God, can I trust you? You're going to help me. Lord, I pray that instead of that, we take our focus off of our doubts and our struggles and instead start asking, well, what about me? Am I faithful with what you've given me, Lord? The Lord is going to come through. How are we doing? Lord, bless us that we can start focusing on, well, what would you have me do? with what you've given me? Who would you like me to love so that I can tell them about you? Lord, thank you for giving me every single thing that I have from the breath in my lungs to the body that's kept me alive this long, to the place I live, to the church I'm at, to the car I drive, to the food I have. God, thank you for giving me every single thing. Lord, how can I give it away? Lord, how can I be like you? In Jesus' name, bless us that we can make friends for you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.